Hello and welcome to another episode of Tell It Like It Is. This is your host Manisha Kadgatur. My guests today are Leslie and Paul De Souza, a father-daughter pair of behavioral change experts. Leslie's expertise is in the scientific understanding of behavior with over 40 years of experience. He has worked with Dr. Robert Blake, the founder of the Grit Theory and the Synergogy model of team learning designs. The term synergogy defined as working together for shared teaching was contrasted to pedagogy where instruction is given by a teacher he has been part of the core design, redesign team for the leadership grid book the leadership grid seminar as well as the building spectacular teams design leslie has been a partner with grid international incorporated and is currently on its global executive council he represents belbin associates uk in india Leslie is an executive coach having been vice president at Ion Exchange India Limited and CEO of Ion Exchange Training Resources. Now Pearl is a behavioral consultant and director at Pre-Pearl Training Development Private Limited which is the Belbin representative uh, representative uh, in India and closely associated with Grid International. She is a facilitator for the Belbin accreditation course and her work has been rep- has been presented in national and international forums such as the Asia Academy of Management Conference Taiwan and the Belbin Global Symposiums in Cambridge leveraging the appreciative inquiring uh, inquiry technique in her interventions she has led wide scale talent management projects in many large companies Both Leslie and Pearl are visiting faculty at reputed management institutes. Pearl also works in youth development is on the editorial board of Teenager Today magazine India's oldest surviving national youth magazine. Leslie how did you come upon this area of work and what started it all? Oh well uh, Manisha to be honest with you it's it's a very very interesting story. Um I'd like to really start with the saying of Einstein where he says, you know, uh, there are only two ways uh, you live, can live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle and the other is as though everything is a miracle. And that really seems to, what ha- seems to have happened in my journey through life. Uh, the second part of it is really my testimony. Oh, so well, you know, it's it all happened after high school, and so between the ages of sixteen and twenty-three, I I I sort of went into religious formation with the Salesians of Don Bosco, thinking I had a vocation uh, to be a priest. But um, by the age of twenty-three, I discovered that I had a different calling out here in the world, and so. Uh, uh, I was equipped with a degree or a licentiate in philosophy, and I went for my first job interview, and that was at Lassen in Tuvalu. I had a, I had an interview, and of course they were very kind with me, uh, but politely did have to, you know, uh, refuse. Um, but ironically, and for me this is a great huge miracle. It's exactly twenty three years hence uh, now as I talk to you. and i have for the past 23 years been uh, a consultant with lnt a journey that has been extremely fulfilling and rewarding this for me has been one of the major and the biggest uh, 
if i can call miracles in my life um then there then there was this entire association with uh, dr robert blake how did that come by oh yeah this is very very interesting manisha uh you know so while i was in i in exchange um uh, i was uh, feeling pretty comfortable and feeling pretty satisfied with the way i things were going um until uh, a stage came in my life when i was driven to write my purpose statement and it read something like this to be a teacher and help people grow and fulfill their potential while personally learning and growing myself and when i actually uh, reflected on this purpose statement of mine that emerged i realized that while i was doing pretty well in an exchange i wasn't really possibly enjoying the nature of the function which involved a lot of you know staffing function and you know the whatever went with uh, matters that required uh, to be with uh, industrial relations and stuff of that type and that's when i really realized i needed to actually do something that i really enjoyed and i had a good fortune then of being exposed to the leadership grid when i left i in exchange the chairman uh, really wanted me to stay on and offered me consultancy within the organization and it was at that time when i really had another major breakthrough when he uh, asked me to take over as uh, the ceo of iron exchange training resources now this was the time when i had this very unique opportunity okay to be directly related and con- connected with dr robert blake and work with him as well uh, in the entire grid process simultaneously i also had an opportunity to work with uh, dr belbin and be introduced to him uh, and that's where for the first time we introduced into the country a water management training program uh, with an in association with crankfield university now interestingly my mandate with iin exchange training resources was to integrate technical training with behavioral training and here is where i found the grid learning and the belbin very very unique of uh, change management and transformation oh. right now these are buzzwords these days um what are the underlying principles given that oh. there are so many different framework oh. and how does one choose the right framework interesting good question manisha you know as i look at it you know uh, any organization for profit not for profit or otherwise uh, all these organizations ultimately have to deliver results and uh, resources today are getting limited <laughs> and you yet have to deliver maximum results and this is where you know the whole philosophy of uh, of 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 converting resources into results is built in in the philosophy of change management in the grid framework right so you look at Uh, resources uh, which is called r1 you look at what do you want which is r3 now both these r1 and r3 are really measurable uh, tangible things 
But what delivers R3, your results, from the R1 you have is what is known as R2, which is the relationships. Now, this is that big piece which people often miss. We evaluate, we have budget meetings, we discuss, we discuss R1, we discuss R3, but we forget about measuring R2. And this is what Dr. Robert Blake and Jane Mooton brought. By the way, Jane was a statistician and she brought, able to bring a metrics into this whole process and this whole dynamic. And that for me was phenomenal, grounded on what is it that really builds good relationships in the organization. It was about the way you initiate, the way you inquire, the way you advocate, the way you solve problems, the way you set goals. And the foundation is the way you give feedback and gritty. This for me was absolutely uh, you know, exhilarating when I saw the results in my real consulting and in the work that I have been doing. And, and, and for me, the, the icing on the cake was when I discovered Dr. Belbin, I found, wow, for the first time in my life, I realized and I got a tool and a technique to also understand a, a very, very important dynamic of R1, which was people. And Belbin brings this whole uh, behavioral talent assessment of an individual. Uh, more than assessment, it's actually a discovery of individual contributions and strengths, which can now be harnessed very effectively in the R2 dynamics to deliver best results. So you use this at an individual level, you use it at a team level, you use it at an organizational level. And the good news is that both these frameworks are totally digitalized today. And this is what organizations really want to be able, you know, uh, see, ultimately we talk of digitalization, but behind that, it's the people. That's really what delivers the hard results. Yes, Manisha? Uh what you're saying, what you're saying, actually makes a lot of sense because if you look at uh, digital transformation, right, Ooh. and there is so much talk about um, uh, people embracing technology across various processes. Uh, you know, large consulting companies that advocate digital transformation Ooh. now, and that's really the effort going on in various organizations about moving processes to the cloud. Yeah. The the area where uh, this transformation work comes undone oh, is when it comes to absolutely and when it comes to the cultural change. Yes. and it's it's interesting that the grid framework actually talks about oh. that missing uh, link yes. between resources and your results being uh, relationships yes. and using appreciative inquiry or asking questions yes. in terms of. Um, you know how you unlock that entire thing. So that's that's fabulous. Thank you for that, uh, Leslie. Um, Paul, I'd like to bring you into the conversation here and do tell us about your starting point. Starting point. Well, uh, I think I I've definitely uh, been influenced. Uh, I think by my father's work in a way because uh, uh, well, I graduated in psychology, sociology, Manisha from Xavier's. So uh, behavior was always something that uh, that interested me. Went on to do my MBA in uh, in human resources, and I started my my career really uh, when I got selected as a management trainee uh, at Vodafone. 
Now, I was very clear at that point of time that I did not want to join my father immediately, that I definitely wanted corporate experience uh, and was very fortunate and lucky to be part of a fantastic management training program uh, at, uh, at Vodafone. Now, during that program was when I realized that uh, HR operations was really not my cup of tea. I wasn't excited and interested uh, really as much in it. But when I got my stint in uh, talent development and learning and development, that was when I remember using this phrase, I said, uh, it was almost like as if I had wings, you know, uh, I, I felt like I could really fly. And that's when I realized that this was, this was the area that I wanted to really build uh, myself in. And uh, uh, around uh, that time was uh, when, uh, well, Vodafone, of course, had been uh, a strong client of, of Mr. Leslie for, for quite some time uh, prior to, uh, you know, prior to me joining, etc. And uh, when it was when I was in Vodafone, when I happened to tell people or people happened to get to know that uh, Leslie was my father, I often got this, uh, oh, really? You're Leslie's daughter? <laughs> and I said... Hmm, okay, I seem to have someone back home who I should really be, uh, be learning from because he had done some really uh, deep work with uh, performance management. Of course, the grid was taken over there. And, uh, and, and this was something that was coming like from, from the leaders within the organization. Yeah? So, uh, so that's when I, I decided that uh, you know, since uh, talent development was the area I wanted to work in, I said, maybe this is a good time to, to go back and, and, and really learn, learn from him. And uh, I remember saying, you know, I'll join Prefer, but you know, I'll join it just for like three years and then come back into industry, uh, come back to corporate. But, uh, but yeah, it's been nine years now and uh, really enjoying the process. Uh, it took time to, to get used to wow. the shift. That's so, Leslie, I'm going to come back to that father-daughter dynamic later because uh, you needed external validation <laughs> to work with you. Now, most yeah. people are familiar with three stages of team formation. You're norming, storming, yeah. performing. Now, how do Belbin's team's role, team roles impact team composition? Yeah. Uh, what about yeah. its output? And how have you seen organizations leverage these in achieving business results? Right. Um, I think, Manisha, the, when you're talking about team formation and then you're talking about the stages of norming, storming, etc., uh, when you use a tool like Belvin, I think what it really does is it accelerates the entire process to help the team really move to the performing stage earlier and faster. I'm going to start with really the team formation and uh, give you an example uh, with a, a client. So we were working with um, the advanced technology team really of a particular organization. This was in the automobile industry. And we were talking with the, the head of the technology team, of course, with the, uh, the HR head. And we were looking at the different teams that were formed, the sub teams that were formed. And uh, we were talking about why one team uh, seemed to kind of be getting a little stuck, was not really moving as fast as they would have liked the team to move. And when we looked at the composition of the team, we looked at really what were the behavioral talents that each one was bringing onto the table. Uh, we actually realized that there were about three people bringing in the same behavioral talents in this one particular team. 
And what they realized was if we had to just change the team composition by moving one person from team A to team B, what we were really doing was we were able to plug the gaps between both the teams. So there was an overload of certain contributions in one team, whereas another team was actually failing because of the lack of that very contribution. And that was like a big aha moment uh, for the head. And I remember him saying, oh my gosh, this is so simple. I really see what is happening. The dynamics of the team is such that I really need to just shuffle two individuals from one team to the other. So that was number one. It was very possible to actually change uh, the team composition. Uh, and therefore, right at the time of forming a team to really understand uh, what are the resources uh, that we are putting into a team and what is it that each one is contributing and bringing onto the table? Is there a balance in contributions, uh, which is really important? So the team formation is therefore an important aspect. So do you have the resources uh, that you need and is there balance in the team? And then you move into the whole aspect of the norming, uh, which again is, you know, which is the, what is the norm on performance that has been formed within our team? And do we need to question that? Do we need to address that? Uh, I think over here, what becomes really important is really looking at the purpose and the goal of the team, getting all the team members to really reflect on the purpose and the goal, and then to actually say, okay, what is going to be the how of our working? Uh, how do we really leverage our working relationship such that we are leveraging strengths and we are managing weaknesses within the team? And I think at this point of time, uh, giving team members a language uh, to talk about behavior and very importantly, uh, giving them the technique of collaboration becomes extremely important because this is, in fact, what I think uh, helps teams reach their goals and in many cases even supersede uh, the goals. And uh, definitely uh, uh, a tool like the Belvin, I think, uh, and even the whole grid process makes this extremely um, doable. Right. All uh, right. So that's, that's really useful. Um, so it actually provides language. It provides a framework. It provides what people can do in teams to uh, you know achieve the kind of result that they're you know they set out to um in your in your experience what have you enjoyed the most while dealing with teams right what have we enjoyed? What have I enjoyed the most uh, in, in dealing with teams? Uh, I think definitely uh, we have what is, you know, we have what is known as the learning journeys that we have been, uh, that we have been uh, creating and designing for uh, teams, uh, leadership teams, high potential talent. Uh, and this has really been, uh, you know, where we would have a journey of about eight to 12 months where we meet with uh, the leaders, uh, we meet with the participants uh, almost once every month where there's an intervention and uh, even post those interventions, online interventions, uh, you know, uh, having online group uh, coachings, etc. The reason why I found these particularly interesting is because of obviously behavior well does take time and does take effort to bring about a change in. And when you are Working with leaders, and it's fantastic when you're working with an, with an intact team in such journeys, you become a witness of this change. You can see the change um, that is really taking place. 
uh, the brilliant bit really and i think completely fulfilling and uh, what completely makes all the effort uh, is when at the end of the journey we we design our journeys in such a way uh, such that they are uh, measurable and of course they have to be uh, impactful and it's tied into business results so right at the end when um, the leaders or the participants actually make their presentation um, to the ceo uh, uh, on what has been the transformation that they have seen from a behavioral perspective uh, at an individual level and at their team level and how has that really impacted results uh, what have been stories where they have actually seen concrete results um, them making those presentations and listening to that impact uh, that is something which which i think i i completely enjoy so completely enjoy seeing the entire process uh, some so there are, there are there are these terms right now that are bandied about quite a bit mentoring mm-hmm. coaching and within coaching there are so many sub specializations mm-hmm. like life coach coach performance coach fitness mm-hmm. coach mm-hmm. and stuff like that what are the primary differences between mentoring and coaching that's mm-hmm. one and secondly um how does one gauge the effectiveness and impact of these two interventions mm-hmm. oh lovely so um so when you look at mentoring uh you know you're looking at something which is um holistic uh, in a, in terms of a development uh even very holistic in terms of the relationship between the mentor and the mentee uh and for this uh, a great um, a talent and effort is required uh both from the mentor as well as from the mentee to build up this what we may call a trusting relationship right and uh, today as i see it more and more it's also more of a partnering relationship okay in the process uh but it's more long term right it's more deep in terms of sharing life experiences also multidimensional sort of in impact right uh these relationships can carry on for years you know uh as it has happened in my case personally uh i've had them for several years and at different stages of my life you know so uh and so when you look at coaching and today it's a very very uh, popular thing to have a coach a very important thing as well to have a coach and uh, uh coaching is a little more specific it's a little more if i could say uh shorter and when i say it's um, specific it's uh, directly uh, directed towards possibly a behavioral change or a functional or a skill change uh development and that's why you have different nomenclatures also around people who specialize in different types of coaching you know so it's about building capacity okay uh in coaching the the, the focus is singular on that particular and 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 uh the time frame also is is fixed from that point of view so these are the broad distinctions uh between coaching and mentoring in some cases there seems to be a merger a blurring of the lines you know uh but all that depends on the relationship that both the coach and the coachee or the mentor and the mentee uh you know uh 
between themselves, uh, I don't like to use, use the word negotiate, but dialogue, okay? And that's how it moves on for them. But both these are very important processes. And it's good and important to know the difference. And that's why uh, in both the processes, becomes very, very important right at the outset, okay, is to identify the, uh, the objectives and the outcomes that are, you know, look, you're looking forward to, yeah. My question was more in terms of uh, learning uh, profiles, right? Learner oh. profiles, actually. Um, are we as in, how are we distinct? Uh, or are we even distinct as Indians in terms of our learning ability and uh, the way we apply ourselves to various concepts and invite oh. them to uh, people outside? Okay. So, uh, Manisha, my exposure to learners from outside of India is, has been largely restricted to the experience I've had with the Credit Suisse Bank in Singapore for over five years. And uh, now there the experience was, uh, in a way, uh, interesting because uh, in, every, uh, in every group that we worked with, um, you would five, six, seven different nationalities in that group, right? So very, very interesting profile. But what's really very important is in those organizations, of course, it's, uh, it's, it's a business finance uh, organization, uh, very competitive in nature, but a uh, high degree of ownership and responsibility of individuals to wanting to perform, uh, to wanting to make the uh, a cutting edge, uh, to be visible. Uh, in terms of being able to demonstrate. So, uh, so there's, there's a lot of uh, ownership for that. Um, coming back to other countries, I'm inferring, especially when it comes to India's working, Indians working abroad, I guess, you know, uh, they got to take ownership for their own learning to a great extent. And that's why you can see a lot of, uh, you know, uh, growth taking place when you take individual responsibility. But in India, if I have to share my experience, I would say that the whole learning process uh, varies with different organizations, right? And I have seen organizations with some really, very strong learning cultures, right? Especially the ones where we worked with, as you mentioned before. And what's really very critical in this entire process is just a few very, very, what I would call learning disciplines, if the organization is able to put in place, you know? So when you're talking about training, are you defining training in the context of what your business needs? This is very, very important. Then are you designing the entire intervention as an experience? People have to experience something to be able to relate it and then be able to actually deliver it in the application. These are important things. The management or the reporting managers, some to my mind, need to uh, really uh, connect, okay, to see and measure what's really happening <laughs> post the intervention or the input, okay? And the most important is to support, to support them in the entire change process. Document, document, document becomes very, very <laughs> important if you really want to see change on the ground happening, yes. Right. Yes. 
Okay, so question for both of you now. Uh, and this is going back to, you know, the father-daughter dynamic. Uh, what's it like to work together? Uh, I can tell from personal experience of my father teaching me to drive many years ago that it was truly traumatic <laughs> for him. So <laughs> what gives? Okay, so it's, it's interesting, Manisha. Um, I think uh, it has its uh, positives and a lot of positives. And there are also challenges when we work together. Um, the positives, of course, has been that, um, well, it's a father-daughter team. So we uh, definitely uh, understand one another. There is, there is complete trust. I mean, there is complete trust that I have in him. And um, I really get to see him living the values of the organization, um, living the values of, you know, um, what he's really built people on. And uh, that is, that's complete learning for me. Uh, we are also very similar in our personality type in that sense. So uh, that has uh, its advantages and its disadvantages. The advantage is that we get a deeper insight into, you know, where the other is coming from. Uh, the disadvantage is sometimes when we get stuck, we get stuck at the same area, mm -hmm. at the same place. There's one way uh, we've come up with, uh, and uh, so uh, the first thing is that, you know, uh, we individually work alone. Right, uh, you do your individual preparation. I do my individual preparation and what we uh, need to talk and discuss. And then when we get together, all right, we I found that you know uh, an excellent uh, process for us to you know listen, uh, be prepared to listen uh, to the other person before arriving at a conclusion. And very very often, I would say most often, in fact, uh, I can see uh, uh, Pearl's point of view. Very, very valuable points, you know, uh, that come up, uh, which otherwise, you know, uh, I would have possibly, uh, you know, arrested uh, if I was uh, sort of uh, not giving her a listening ear independent of my points. So uh, this is a working relationship uh, we've tried to build on, and I think it's working effectively. Given our current times, given, uh, yeah. you know, social distancing and the fact that many of us, um, at least in your line of work, will be working over. from home, right? Um, what do you see? What do you see happening over the next eighteen months? Ge also, keep in mind that organizations are yeah. going to be looking at their training budgets and how this is going to evolve. Yeah, uh, Manisha, I think yeah, most definitely. When you look at the next uh, eighteen months, uh, definitely we don't see in-person sessions or interventions happening. Things are, of course, uh, moving online. Um, but in that, and we've been working on a couple of uh, in online interventions and really re-looking the how of us um, working with our clients or collaborating with our, uh, with our clients. And I think we're really being forced to look at how do we um, create uh, our interventions, uh, which are, well, have to be shorter because it's online and then you, you don't really have an entire day. But I think in that, uh, Manisha, what's happening is we're really being able to distill what is the most uh, important and how do you really package that into a shorter time frame? Secondly, I think, how do you ensure that it's going to be more impactful? And then looking at the opportunity that the online space is actually providing. Importantly, there's going to be a huge amount of reskilling, uh, a huge amount of digital skilling that's going to be happening at the blue collar level, uh, as well as the white collar level. Um, 
people, uh, I, I guess, individuals uh, have already started beginning to look at reinventing themselves because of a huge amount of job losses that we are already seeing over here. And that's the prediction that I see. Um, <clears throat> there's a huge scope uh, for organizations and for uh, training consulting organizations to contribute all right, in the development of these uh, skills. Uh, working from home, uh, honestly speaking, is definitely going to be the new normal, but uh, a huge uh, possibility of stress on family relationships. And so uh, I think uh, another area okay, uh, for work uh, to, do, to, to be done in offering these uh, services. And so the leadership in organizations today is, is really going to need to be able to draw the best uh, from individuals in a virtual context. And uh, I think this is where I think uh, people can contribute significantly as well uh, as we have been experiencing. Uh, of it. It's a great opportunity for leaders uh, to build now actually the leadership uh, uh, of managing and leading uh, through, uh, honestly speaking, managing emotions. Uh, that's going to be critical for leaders. Uh, coming going forward and doing that digitally with distancing rather is a new uh, technique that needs to be embraced. Rightly said, I think brevity, simplicity and having mm -hmm. multiple touch points with your workforce are going to be um, some of the key skills that we all need to develop. And um, communication seems to be the number one thing on everyone else's yeah. mind because that's what we've done in uh, in, in the you know, past few months. Um, with that, we've come to the end of this podcast. Uh, thank you so much, yeah. Leslie and Pearl. It's been such a pleasure talking to both of you and uh, listening to your experience and um, the clarity of thought. So thank you very much for uh, thank you being very on much. the podcast. Thank you, Manisha. Thank you.